Hi, my name's Noreen Jamil, and this is... Emily Kate Stevens. Both of us have been diagnosed with long COVID. And we've created this podcast dedicated to the condition. Welcome to the Long COVID Sessions. Emily, how was your week? My week was fine. I think it might be a bit of a big one in terms of physical and kind of cognitive and emotional expenditure. So I am bracing myself right now. I can feel my throat closing down. I can feel that kind of breathlessness and I'm just um, shattered. So let's see. I'm trying to do everything to prevent a crash, but, um, you know, life, life kind of gets in the way. How was your week? Fine. I've did a couple of long walks. I'm trying Robin McNellis's theory of keeping your heart rate under a certain uh, um, beats per minute. So I'm trying to keep it under 110. And I just did uh, an hour's walk on the treadmill for two days. But today I feel like utter pants. Really? But it's not, I don't know if it's a crash or if I just, I don't know if I just feel like I feel a bit feverish. I don't know if I've got COVID again. (laughs) Who knows? Uh, or I've got a virus, or I'm just, or it's a crash, but I don't know. I don't feel good. I know what you mean. Yeah. <clears throat> so this week I've had uh, quite a lot of chest pain, actually. Like, I'm really worried I'm about to have a heart attack. But yeah, after a year of long COVID and cardiac symptoms, you, you're not running to the doctor. You're just dealing with it and just hoping for the best. I know. And that's kind of sad. Have you sort of felt immediate effects of the heart after you've been walking? I mean, I started feeling my heart when I was walking. Whilst you were. Yeah, and that's new. I don't know if it's because I'm on the treadmill or it's just because it's one of those weeks. But normally when I go for a walk, I don't feel chest pain. But normally you haven't just had COVID again. And I think yeah. that's the thing. Like we're actually now having to relearn. Like we maybe got to a point where we knew where our flare points were and we knew where our levels were and I think that we've got to relearn this all again after having rehad COVID. Yes I mean the more I read about it the more frightening it becomes because I read today even asymptomatic cases need six months for the body to recover post-COVID. And, and no one's giving it even two days. No and, and neither are we like you after COVID were out doing yoga and feeling better and that was it and we were off and I was saying like be a bit cautious and I'm doing the same like it's we don't learn it's bad I know but we also try kind of have this level of frustration that we just want to be able to live life yeah 100% I'd just like to address two things at the beginning of the podcast this week if you don't mind yes I, I have something to address as well firstly is uh the elephant in the room or actually what is for us, a parrot in the room. And I just wanted to let everyone know that when you hear the high-pitched squeals whilst Noreen's talking, it's not me wolf-whittling at her. It is actually that she has a parrot. And um, whilst we do our best to sort of make this sound as slick as possible in terms of the edits and things, the parrot is, uh, he loves the chat and he loves to, to crash around and get involved. So that is what you might sometimes hear whilst Noreen's talking. Yes. And he's lovely and he's part of the family. And it's just you and me, two mums, working out of our houses. I mean, we literally haven't seen each other since we started doing this podcast in person. No. Um, and the other thing that I just wanted to mention that I, I know that it might be frustrating for some of our listeners that we don't always manage to get the podcast out at a regular time every single week. But we are literally doing our, our best to get this out whenever we can. Um 
and when health and circumstances allow. But, you know, Emily, you do a cracking job of getting it out at least once a week. So, you know, let's not be too hard on ourselves. <laughs> what I wanted to address was this um, interview I did on Al Jazeera this week where I got a bit of blowback because I was trying to be a bit sensible in the conversation. Which I felt you were. I just wanted to give a bit of perspective. I think it was slightly slanted, the interview itself, because it had two micro-clots advocates on and then me. It's not that we don't think the clots are an important part of what people are going through. I mean, it may well be, but we don't know. And I just wanted to make that clear, especially as now there are aphoresis centres popping up around the world. And it's people like us who are desperate are going to take advantage or be taken advantage of. Yeah, and I think, Noreen, from what you said on that, I think you were very, very clear and very, very measured. All of these things are all experimental. I know you've also got some kickback for saying that we are moving at warp speed and people have have, um, sort of said that no one's moving fast enough. From the position that we come, having spoken to doctors and scientists, and also if you speak to the ME CFS community or even the HIV community, I'm not saying governments couldn't do more, but we are moving incredibly quickly compared to how we have moved on certain things historically. Absolutely. We're not saying that we don't want to be well today and we're not saying that we don't want results today, but you are also giving some level of respect to all the other theorists and all the other background work that is being done in this field. There's a fine line between advocating for our community or our cohort and becoming an activist. And so, you know, we have to be cautious and we have to also look after the vulnerable. You know, people are desperate, but this is not a cure. Like at the moment, we have given two in two whole episodes over to the theory of clots and clotting. And I think it's important but it's also not necessarily the the cause and what we're trying to do is 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 trying to find the mechanism the the reason that <laughs> not us personally yeah. in speaking to these people we're trying to find out all of the angles of what could potentially be underlying we just have to be a bit cautious and that's what i was trying to get across well i thought that you were very very measured and uh you approached it with, from your position as a journalist so yeah that is what we're trying to do so anyway this week we're looking again at the gut so this week we spoke to professor robert thomas who is actually a consultant oncologist but um he runs a research unit uh looking at lifestyle and nutritional therapies in oncology and he started looking at COVID and and subsequently long COVID because all of their studies into cancer got put on hold when the pandemic began so he has been looking about, at uh, probiotics and polyphenols for the treatment of long COVID. Well, this study's got a lot of traction amongst our community again, so we wanted to follow it up. It's the Your Gut Plus, plus the Phyto-V, and I know that people have started to try it. We, you know, the idea that we, we still don't know what's going on in our bodies, but everything that we can do to try and support our immune system seems like a good idea to me. Yeah. And again, like you keep saying most weeks, as long as you can do something that's not going to cause harm, why not? It's that kind of natural healing, isn't it? Putting our body in the best possible place to to heal itself somehow. I mean, that's what we've been talking about from the beginning, actually. And I think that is one thing that's come out from the beginning. It is trying to address your lifestyle, anything that you can do 
So this session this week is a deep dive into microbiome, basically. Yeah. And what goes on in your gut and how it can support and reduce chronic inflammation. Do you want to just talk to us, uh, give us a little explanation for our listeners of what is the microbiome? What does this term microbiome mean? Yeah, I mean, basically, we have uh, trillions of bacteria on our body, on and in our body. And I don't know how people measure it, but they estimate that there's more foreign bacteria and viruses and yeast on our body, more genetic material from those than our own cells. So actually, it's not a surprise that these things have a very significant influence on our well-being and our biological pathways. I mean, you know, I don't know why people think that could be a surprise. And normally we work, you know, they work in harmony with us. They help us digest food. They on our skin, they help us fight off uh, pathogenic bacteria, such as bacteria which cause skin infections or vaginal infections or urinary tract infections or infections of the gut. So they're very helpful to us. We feed them, we give them food, and they fight off some of the bad bacteria for us. But then through various measures, sometimes a fault of our own and sometimes not, the balance of these sort of bacteria gets altered. So put it simply, there's good bacteria and bad bacteria. The good bacteria help help us and they protect us from pathogens. The bad bacteria start damaging our cells and, well, our body then has to react against them. So it enlists this immune reaction against them and cause a, a, a state of chronic inflammation. And there's various things which can upset our microbiome. Um, Let's talk about the gut first of all. So, for example, if you eat lots of excess sugar, if you eat too much meat, if you've got a history of taking anti-inflammatory drugs, not exercising, being a bit overweight, getting old. I mean, you know, some of these things we have no control on, I'm afraid. Um, And also eating foods which are very poor in um, what we call polyphenol rich foods, so foods which have lots of colour, taste and smell, uh, and also eating foods which don't have any bacteria in them. Most of the bacteria are derived from food, so things like kefir, kimchi, uh, mature cheeses, uh, sauerkraut. Naturally fermented food. Exactly. So those people with those diets are more likely to develop worse gut health. And hence, when you've got this worse gut health, what the, what the fundamental issue is, you're, then your lining of your gut gets uh, chronically inflamed, the gaps between the cells open up, and you leak nutrients out of your gut into into out of your body. So you become you, you get low nutrients. And more importantly, you then leak toxins into the bloodstream, which weren't previously there. So you then not only get an inflammation of the gut, your body then says, oh, hang on a minute. Now I've got these toxins coming into my bloodstream and it elicits a chronic inflammatory response against these toxins, which is, a you know, which is through evolution what we need to do. But the problem is, there you get collateral damage. So as you hit these toxins, you then you damage the tissues around it from anything, the joints, the brain, the nerves, the pancreas, uh, all sorts of things. And that's chronic inflammation is very damaging um, for the immunity. And in the long term, they lead to things like dementia, heart disease, type 1 diabetes, uh, joint problems, arthritis. So a whole host of things 
So, so gut health is a real cornerstone to multiple diseases, and it's becoming more and more apparent and more mainstream to, to realize that. So we looked at the, the world data, and, and it was, became quite clear that gut health did change after COVID. So the instance of dysbiosis, so the population of pro-inflammatory bacteria, or in other words, the bad bacteria in relation to the good bacteria, was significantly worse in patients with COVID. There's two reasons for that. One, that if you had dysbiosis before you caught COVID, you're more likely to get more severe symptoms. And secondly, the virus does actually attack the gut and alters the, the, the floor. And we know that people who have dysbiosis and gut symptoms are more likely to develop long COVID. So can we fix it just with our diet alone? That is a very good question. And that's, uh, you know, it's easy to say there's a correlation, but what do you do about it? Right. Diet and exercise is clearly the number one priority when you're talking about gut health. Um, so, uh, you know, that's the first thing I'd, I'd say. So, And it's not a quick fix. Saying that, um, studies which looked at changes in the microbiome profile, they can change quite quickly after a probiotic or, or, or with a reduction in sugar in the diet. So, yes, I mean, you, you, there are lots of data to say a healthy lifestyle and uh, your changing in diet can improve things quite quickly. But of course, if you're very overweight, that you're not going to suddenly lose weight overnight. Probiotics are one way to, to help. Uh, these, as you know, are capsules which contain healthy bacteria such as lactobacillus. And there is a number of intervention studies to show they help. But if you don't do the lifestyle measures alongside them, it's not going to be a long term solution. But certainly things like if you're traveling, where you come across different bacteria, if you've taken a course of antibiotics, if you're having chemotherapy or radiotherapy, or you've drunk too much alcohol one night, they're in the short term, they're very, very effective. The probiotics. Yeah, not all of them, but that many are. And that, so we would support their use in certain situations. And that's why we wanted to do, start this study to see if an intervention in people who are unwell from COVID could help. And before we go uh, further into the study, are there, without taking probiotics and, and trying to alter our microbiome like that, are there measures that we could, day-to-day measures that we could take? Um, removing sugar from the diet, certain adding certain foods to the diet, um, there are a lot. There's a lot of talk of different diets. Are there any things that we should straight off here today do uh, in order to reduce inflammation in our body? Yes, I mean that. That's you've broadened it to inflammation in the body. There are other things which affect inflammation <clears throat> apart from the, the the microbiome. But let's just talk about the the influence of the microbiome. Um, yeah, I mean for years because we've done lots of studies in our in our unit looking at the microbiome in relation to cancer drug. We've, we've got a lot of experience in, in this, and that's why we, we felt we were qualified to start doing COVID studies. So we're not very good in Britain at eating probiotic or bacteria-rich food. Other cultures like Asia and the Far East are much more likely to eat fermented foods and foods with bacteria in them. So I always say, well, first of all, we know that the unhealthy bacteria feed off processed sugar, 
So all you're doing is giving them a head start. We know that the healthy bacteria don't eat the processed sugar. They eat complex carbohydrates or polyphenol-rich foods. So, so uh, artichokes, beans, mushrooms, uh, anything colorful, really, uh, soluble fibers. Those are the things which help feed the healthy bacteria. And they, they're otherwise known as prebiotics. Inulin is, is, is a, a common one. Uh, so try to look at foods every day with, with, look at your plate and try to get those on your food. Try to have something which has bacteria in it. It could be kefir. I encourage patients to, to make their own sauerkraut, for example, if, if they're motivated enough. Or you can buy sauerkraut from organic shops, whole foods, etc. I mean, it's best to go for the sauerkraut, of course, which is not pasteurized because it's still got the live lactobacillus bacteria in them. Kimchi is very good. Um, or even mature cheeses or kefir and those sort of things. So try every day to have something with live bacteria. I in do them. try to eat cheese every day. So like <laughs> mature cheese. <laughs> so I'm doing one of them right. But Is yeah. it possible to overdo it? So if you're taking a probiotic and then on top of that, you're taking, you're having, you know, a pint of kefir. Kefir is made from milk, of course, uh, and 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 people sometimes get confused that lactobacillus, which is one of the best probiotics, has to come from milk. No, lactobacillus is in things like sauerkraut. There's no milk in it. But some people are a bit intolerant of, of milk. So you've got to be a bit careful if you take too much kefir. Although part of fermenting milk into a yogurt is to break down the lactose. So if you're lactose intolerant, you're less likely to get a problem with yogurt rather than milk itself, for example. And the same thing applies to mature cheeses. In fact, the more mature the cheese, the less lactose it is in it. Uh, but yes, I mean, cheese and, and milk can be fattening. You know, there's, there's, if you're struggling with your weight, it can be, there can be a lot of calories. Uh, but in terms of the bacteria itself, as long as it's a healthy type, like, you know, the things you see in kefir, um, a kimchi and sauerkraut um no because your body will just you can't sort of flood your um, body <clears throat> well when we set up the in in terms of diet no i think the answer is no you will just you'll just be digested or excreted in terms of a, a, a supplement a tablet well yes you have to be a little bit careful and part of the ethics process to get the phytov study done was to look very uh, you know look at probiotic studies in detail to see if there could be some harm done, especially with people who are ill with COVID, of course, you know, because that's, uh, you know, they might be more sensitive to, to probiotics. So you might be doing harm. Uh, but we looked at data from babies who are premature, who are given probiotic studies. We looked at people who are on ventilators giving probiotics. We looked at uh, people who are given very high doses over a long period of time. And there was a few anecdotal reports of, of what we call small gut uh, over growth of of say lactobacillus they were you know you could put them on one hand compared to the hundreds of millions of people who take them um so and they were largely with the uh, the more complex probiotics so you know if you look if you stuck to the lactobacillus it's they are the safest um group but you do sometimes get probiotics which have like 23 different types of bacteria and those are the ones we believed would more likely to create a problem, which would be very rare, but those are the group you, you'd avoid. And that's interesting because w I was prescribed Simprove. Yeah. Um, and I can take it for a couple of weeks. And after a couple of weeks, I then blow up like a balloon 
and you don't want to be in a room with me, basically. <laughs> yeah. And that's start, and then I have to stop it, and then my everything settles down. Now that that's a liquid, isn't it? Yes. Well, in in terms of gas, when people start um, start taking, say, a prebiotic rich diet, which has lots of mushrooms, beans, and things, they do often get more more gas. And that's why, um, you know, certain diets, um, some, some gastroenterologists will say to avoid those things. Um, but in the long term, what happens is your body gets used to the bacteria and then it stops fermenting the gas. In terms of um, the, the, the probiotic we use, we didn't get that report. People are using it long term. But as a, as a common sense um, situation, I always say to people to, to give, your, give your body a break. So I would say use them for three weeks and have a week off, that sort of thing. And is that just to do with the sort of your gut adjusting to the, to the new bacteria? I don't really know the mechanism. I mean, a lot of probiotics are combined with prebiotics, and that could perhaps be feeding... Uh, causing a bit of gas but uh, it's also what you've uh, highlighted well is know your own body if you, if you're going along and suddenly you get bloating and gas and feeling tired you know that something's wrong and in fact people often ask what are the tests you do to know if you've got a good microbiome or not and there are tests you can do you can you can measure a breath test but the best way is if you're having a regular bowel movement and you don't feel bloated and you don't feel, have indigestion you've probably got pretty good gut health so if you suddenly start bloating yes you're right you should stop you should stop it or there may be something else in that drink which you're intolerant to not the actual bacteria itself so I'd look on the label and see if there's anything else in there which you might be sensitive to, which is more likely to be causing your problem. Let's talk about the Phyto-B study. You didn't just pick random probiotics. You have been very specific in how you have approached this, I believe. Can you tell us what you have decided might be the correct mix to try and help long COVID sufferers? Yeah, so as I said, the, the, the hypothesis is, uh, well, we knew that gut health was important. Uh, we knew that gut health did correlate with an increased risk of long COVID and multiple symptoms. What we didn't know is an intervention could alter outcomes. Um, so we looked at the evidence for flu, um, previous viral infections, and there's a lot, there's a lot out there. And we looked to see which uh, type of probiotic bacteria were, were safe, number one. In fact, the ethics committee were very keen on safety. So that um, so that was the number one priority. So lactobacillus are the safest group. They're ubiquitous. They're in lots and lots of foods. You can, can't really overdo it. So that was the main priority. And of the within the lactobacillus, uh, the five we chose were mentioned previously in flu vaccine studies. They were looked at in animal studies and, and cell line studies. So the four, we, and I can't claim complete benefit of this because we had a scientific committee with nutritionalists and uh, various people from the universities. And basically, it was, it was an evidence review looking at what was used before, what had antiviral properties, what was safer. And uh, we, we sort of homed in on those four which were relatively straightforward to manufacture as well. So we don't want to get some weird one you can only get in a plant in northern Tibet or something. So we need it to be ubiquitous and easy to get hold of. Um, 
re- very, there's been another a number of good evidence reviews published in May, June last year, which looked at the various different probiotics and various different guts. So we sort of we looked at the available evidence. So I think we got it right. That's not to say other probiotics c- couldn't help, but we think we we chose the best blend. Which which brand do you have you given out to your patients? It's something you developed, isn't it? It's not a, not something that we can go and buy. Well, it, it is now, but we've done several natural studies in our research centre. I mean, in fact, we we've been doing intervent nutritional intervention studies for over almost twenty years, uh, where we will develop a supplement. And the way we get funding for our studies is that we'll design it with a scientific committee and then um, we then usually get a company who's interested in making these things uh, to give it to us free um, so that's a uh, you know these things might cost 50 60 thousand pounds to supply us especially if you're developing it from scratch but I mean, I'm paid by the NHS and I've got a research team under me who are paid by the regional sort of research lab so so that's how we do it. So yeah, subsequently, obviously, because they've paid for the intervention, they then make the product. So for this trial, the last trial, we used a, a supplement which became known as POMI T, named after the study, and it's now sold all over the world. Uh, for this study, they used, uh, they named it Your Gut Plus, um, which uh, is they now sell, which is, you know, good luck to them. And in that in that product, is it just the probiotics, or is there an inclusion? Did you? I, I think there's you included inulin in the in the study, and is that within the probiotic that you've brought to market? Um, yes. Yeah, so basically, in terms of the design, we've talked about the actual bacteria itself, which are the lactobacillus, uh, five different blends. It's very important to include a prebiotic with it. So we chose inulin made from chicory. Uh, as the chosen prebiotic. And again, that's a very healthy um, supplement and it helps feed the the bacteria and encourage them to grow. And it's got health benefits on its own. Uh, We subsequently actually um, have now included vitamin D. Yeah, I read that. The reason is um, during the course of the trial, it became very obvious that vitamin D deficiency was a, a big problem uh, if, if you're if you're vitamin D deficient, you're more likely to get a more severe version of COVID, and lots of other things. We, as a trial group, are looking at whether Yogurt Plus could help the the titers following the COVID vaccination, and the and the three things which affect titers, in other words, your the, the effectiveness of the vaccine, are whether you're vitamin D deficient, whether you exercise and whether you take a probiotic. Now, that, that's been proven for the flu vaccine, but not for the COVID vaccine. So we, we asked the manufacturers going forward if they would include a vitamin D in with the supplement at the same time. So they adopted it afterwards to actually now include vitamin D. And is that a high-level vitamin D? No, it, no well, it's not, um, because the reason is you don't need a high level when you take it with a probiotic. Uh, and that's also been emerging very clearly over the last year. People who take who have poor gut health, they don't absorb the vitamin D anyway. So you can take as much vitamin D as you want, but you're not absorbing it. 
Clearly, the best way to get vitamin D is to fly off to the Canary Islands and sit on a deck chair. Well, don't get sunburned and end up getting skin cancer. But uh, yeah, without sunburning, lots of regular sun exposure, particularly in the morning, get your circadian rhythm going, etc. It's, it's all very good. Are there benefits to being outside at this time of year? Or can, are we not getting the vitamin no, D no, when the you, sun's you do, this you do, you do. It's the volume of skin exposure to the sun. Funny anecdote, because I was telling my mum about, we've spoken to lots of doctors and almost ubiquitously everyone talked about the benefits of high dose vitamin d not the government rec- recommended 400 but people were talking the thousands and um my mum was saying that her brother who lives in kenya and plays golf has got low vitamin d and how's that possible and i said because he's only got his head exposed <laughs> and also because we're darker apparently it's harder for us to absorb the vitamin d absorb the vitamin d is it yeah, well, that's why, you uh, you know, in, in, in sunny climates, you have dark skin to protect your body from the excess sun. But if you cover yourself playing golf, presumably wearing a hat and long sleeves and things, uh, and then when you move to northern climates, it, you absorb vitamin D less um, less well. Uh, you know, and also there's, there's some, in certain Asian cultures, there's a cultural thing of covering up more, etc. But uh, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, that was one of the reasons why the uh, Black and Asian groups seem to be suffering more from COVID. And pretty much it's, it's, there may be other things, but pretty much it's because they felt it was that, that group had a lower levels of vitamin D. Really? Yeah, that was the, definitely the theory at the beginning. Um, but the, sorry, just to finish off the point, uh, that what we found out, if you have, if you take vitamin D with a probiotic, you improve the gut health and actually the absorption in a bioavailable form is massively increased. So it's not the level of vitamin D you take, it's to, to take it with a probiotic will significantly improve your intake. Your research group, did you send them home just with the probiotic or also with a nutrition, a diet plan and an exercise plan? Or was it just to see what the probiotic would do for them? Um, when I we advised patients, yes, that's exactly yeah. what we would do, you know, but that's just clinical advice. I mean, you know, try right. to try to exercise every day. You know, obviously, it's, most of these patients felt very unwell, you know, so uh, yeah. we unlike the other two studies which have just been published, you know, one was on healthy volunteers who hadn't got COVID to see if it stopped them getting it. And the other one was on outpatients. We recruited most of the patients in this study from the hospital. So by definition, they were the worst patients. And those that's why we had a lot of long COVID, because if you were hospitalized, that's another risk factor for long COVID. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, of course, we would say, you know, you need to go out, you need to exercise, get some oxygen into your lungs, get your vitamin D levels up, try to get sun exposure, don't eat too much meat. Um, you know, so that's just standard advice we would give them. But in terms of the trial, of course, you need to record what you say for every patient in a study. And if you have too many variables, it's almost impossible to do the statistical analysis, especially with relatively small numbers. So the, the, the statistical analysis was based on, um, you know, the, the reaction after taking the probiotic. And the other randomization was a polyphenol-rich supplement. So the, the trial is actually was called the Phyto-V study. You have to give trials a nickname these days to, to give them any credibility. So we gave every person a probiotic and then we randomized the polyphenol-rich supplement, which had a combination of chamomile, um, tea, pomegranate, uh, citrus bioflavins. Um, but we recorded very 
careful uh, symptoms before and after the probiotic, mainly in people with long COVID. So a lot of these patients had symptoms, well, we know that they had symptoms on average, the long COVID group for 120 days. So if we saw a change within 14 days, of which the majority got, then we knew it was because of that intervention. A change after 14 days, and how long did you keep them on it? For 30 days, or or you took the results at 30 days? We took the results at 14 days and 30 days, because in a trial, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, this is when we're going to do it. And we looked at uh, fatigue, that was the, the, the most common side effect. You didn't actually then specifically assess just on on GI symptoms, did you? It was it was three other symptoms that you were that your primary markers for improvement. Exactly. So we we asked about GI, GI symptoms and they improved quite quickly. We used a formal fatigue score, uh, a cough score, and a, and a score called subjective well being, which just basically tries to put everything into one group of how well do you feel. And that that questionnaire is about well validated and it's used throughout the country. So that cough score improved because even with long COVID, as you may know, cough seems to be seems to go on quite a long time as well, uh, as well as the fatigue and other symptoms. So the cough score improved the fatigue score improved, and that correlated with an overall improvement in what we call subjective well-being. It's very promising. One of the uh, symptoms of long COVID, for Emily especially, uh, is gut. You you just don't have any appetite or you feel nauseous. Yeah. Um, so it's really difficult to then take on all these supplements because it make you feel more nauseous. <laughs> And one of my symptoms is, and Emily's as well, is low iron. And the iron really messes up the stomach. Yeah. So you t- so this is the problem adding these supplements, isn't yeah. it? We're sort of struggling to get possibly nutrients that we need. And it upsets the biome, obviously. Uh, yeah. I mean, w- one thing we've learned um, from this study is there's a lot we don't know. Um, you know, because we get to interview people every day. We look at them and, and you, you learn as you're going along. And iron, we've, we, we, well, it's a number of things. Exercise is, very, is a very tricky thing. We know that being sedentary increases your risk of um, gut problems and long COVID. So then we thought, well, is exercising a lot going to reduce your risk? And we didn't see that, actually. I mean, I'm a sports enthusiast and, you know, a professor of exercise. So I would have loved to have seen that if you exercise before breakfast for two hours, you get you don't get it didn't show that. In fact, some people who exercised too much seem to be suffering more. Yeah. So I think, you know, avoid sedentary behavior. But too much exercise can also be a problem. We saw issues with iron and people with low iron levels. But we to be honest, we don't really know what the data means yet. Okay, that's really, it's quite reassuring for Noreen and I to hear because we've not had it corroborated by a, a doctor that this could potentially be either a direct impact of the virus on your system or your subsequent behaviours and or or tablets. or. But if you're seeing with other people, it's almost, I don't know if it's reassuring. I don't know if anything's reassuring <laughs> anymore, to be honest with you. We're broken. There, there are papers looking at iron levels and, you know, the, the fact that the viruses could be affecting collation of the iron absorption and things like that. But, I mean, that's why you need research because, you know, just simply taking an iron tablet 
we don't know if that's the answer. Being anemic, of course, is going to increase your risk of, of fatigue or even having iron deficiency when you're not anemic yet, it, it increases fatigue. But I, to be honest, I don't know the answer whether taking an iron capsule is the answer. And we know that iron is, is you know, it's not well, it's, it's not difficult, easy to take an iron. You no, take, I mean, you, that's my problem. I, I feel nauseous most of the time anyway. Then taking an iron, any kind of iron supplement, I, my stomach is completely destroyed so it's you're trying to balance all of these things of what you should take versus the detrimental effect it could have i mean i've got to be careful what i say here but in oncology for example we've moved away from giving iron supplements and we give iron infusions yeah i had an iron, i had iron infusions yeah but I, I think I'm, i was highly allergic to those as well well uh, you know that that's another study to be done you know maybe that 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 you know people who've got really bad long covid someone should be researching into how we replace the iron. I mean, uh, having good health health matters, of course, with iron as well. But I mean, you know. I mean, I don't know if this is in your specialty, but one of the things that has come out about long COVID is that um, people are having a jump in their cholesterol levels. Okay. So I was quite lucky in that I had a baseline because I had my cholesterol checked just before I had COVID. And then I had it after I was diagnosed with long COVID just a, again another set of blood work and it jumped significantly without a change in diet and um i think that's replicated in the me people who suffer other post-viral illnesses and uh, that's a really interesting kind of blood gut intersection yeah, yeah. It's interesting you mention ME because uh the symptoms are very similar aren't they between mm, long covid yes. and ME so uh i mean this is a this is a theory. Um, if you cholesterol is actually excreted in your gut uh, uh, and reabsorbed, uh, so there's a, there's a cycle, uh, and that's why you get people who don't eat much fat getting high cholesterol levels because the body is choosing to reabsorb the cholesterol as much as possible to preserve en- energy. Um, and we know that gut health is very fundamental to that. So if the body, if the gut is very healthy, uh, it, it allows the cholesterol to be excreted and not reabsorbed. The same applies to blood pressure. We know people who have poor gut health have, have high blood pressure. We know that high blood pressure is a problem with COVID as well. Um, so that is one link. I'm not saying it's the only link, uh, but that is one link uh, that you could explain that COVID, the virus itself, damages the gut cells and creates an inflammation, and it can alter the ratio of the good to bad bacteria at the same time. So that would be one explanation. But how we improve gut health is not, you know, obviously probiotics is one one way and and diet is another way, but that doesn't work for everyone. That was, that's really interesting that you actually know about the cholesterol thing. I mean, because sometimes we talk to people and they have no idea. Do you have any foods that you, I mean, so there's all these, this talk, of, I'm going to talk about bone broth now. <laughs> have you heard that that's super beneficial to people to dampen down inflammation? Um, I don't, I mean, there's hundreds of products out there. So I'm not really a product man, I'm a sort of research man, really. So um, yeah. basically, you know, things which have got foods which are fermented, so cider vinegar, you know, sauerkraut and all those things. I mean, things that bone, it sounds like a fermented product. I mean, you probably know more than me. So if it is a fermented product, well, well, yes. Um, 
it, it might well be helpful. But, uh, you know, it, it, the important thing is, is, is they're tested. And, and you mentioned about non-regulation of, of supplements. And, and one of the ways they're not regulated is, is, is 99% are not tested in randomized studies. Uh, and I suppose what makes our trials unit different is that the, the, the ones up to now, like the POMI-T was tested in a double-blind randomized study. The Yogurt Plus is now tested and the Phyto-V is tested in a double-blind randomized study. So that's what makes them different to ones you can just buy over the counter. To other sort of people anecdotally talking about the benefits of bone broth. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it may well be helpful, but... Uh, you know, to be sure, you've got to test it. And but the trouble is, when you test them, it's very time-consuming, um, expensive. You know, it's 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 yeah, it is. It's 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 not so much expense actually. I mean, it's just that it, if you've got a, a functioning trials unit like us, you can you can put them in as long as you get the products supplied free. Have things been fast-tracked a little? <laughs> in terms of uh, how quickly you can proceed through sort of the, the clinical trials and things, or is it the same as ever? Uh, well, it's how long have you got to answer that question? I mean, it's fast-tracked <laughs> in the sense that they stopped all other trials. So all the oncology trial, we have we have 15 oncology trials going at, at the same time. All of them had to stop. So, of course, it left up space to deal with COVID studies. Uh, but no, I mean, it, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was in theory fast tracked. But, you know, this this last, the Yogurt Plus is in a vaccination study, for example. We started the, the trial process in September and it's been bounced back twice from the ethics committee, literally because, you know, the wrong signature is on the wrong form. You know, it, it, trivial things um, stop these trials going through. Uh, you know, it's not even got to the stage where they're looking at the scientific data yet. They're just looking at, oh, we've changed the type of uh, format, so that you now need to put this form on this page. This is what demoralizes researchers. You know, it's, it's not the money, it's the time. Kind of red tape. And, and the red and it's pushing it back. Oh, you can't do this. You've missed this deadline. You need another committee. That's That's the struggle with research. And that bit hasn't been fast-tracked. It's still the same... Uh, level bureaucracy yeah but you know it's there for safety I suppose but you know there are ways they could help us by which they don't you know so it's still down to you know back and forth back and forth until eventually you get the authority to move forward um can we just talk briefly about um a previous study of yours which I think maybe is is the POMI T you did a study looking at the effect of polyphenols in prostate cancer using turmeric uh, pomegranate broccoli and, and green tea that you mentioned earlier those four things are sort of heralded potentially as, as superfoods are there benefits to us is that is that what has ended up being POMI T yeah those I mean four things? um are, are the benefits to us taking a supplement of those sort of polyphenol we think so. Uh, but I mean, POMITY was developed because um, I'm a prostate cancer doctor and lots of people were taking these sort of supplements but uh, in phase two studies, but not tested properly. So again, we did a double blind randomized trial against placebo of the four foods which seemed to be the most effective. Mm. And it was highly effective. There was a 64% difference in the rate of prostate cancer progression. We presented that in the world's biggest cancer conference as the main talk. So it was very well received in the oncology setting and um, you know that company um, make it now in Switzerland as they sold all over the world so the reason why those foods are beneficial is because they're rich in polyphenols polyphenols we know help with the inflammatory process so they 
they improve uh, immune surveillance, they improve the immunity, and they dampen down excess inflammation is what we want to avoid. They also help with the oxidative process. So they help mop up uh, excess free radicals when they're in excess, but they also dampen down oxidation when it's not needed. So they're not antioxidants. That's an old-fashioned term. Antioxidants apply to vitamin A and vitamin E and other things. And they also are prebiotics and they help help gut health. And they actually have direct anti-cancer properties. Now, in terms of COVID, because it's not too far away, we know that many polyphenol-rich foods, you know, we know that inflammation and excess oxidative stress is very significant in people who have very severe pulmonary um, toxicity from the virus. And we know that excess inflammation is related to long COVID as well. So it's, it sort of makes perfect sense that those sort of foods could also help COVID. And then the advantage of putting them into a a good quality supplement is you can take foods which people perhaps aren't used to eating, like, you know, turmeric and and chamomile first thing in the morning and lunchtime. So you increase the intake of these foods and spread them across the day more evenly. So that's the advantage of a supplement, provided it's made well. Um, But saying that, we for this V study, we didn't want to just use a supplement which is already out there. We wanted to develop a specific one. And we chose, um, again, through the same scientific community, one which contains citrus bioflavonoids. They, they, they particularly have a direct antiviral properties, and that's been shown in the last SARS epidemic and previous flu epidemics. So there's been a lot of research on that. We knew that chamomile has direct antiviral properties, pomegranate, um, and uh, and uh, resveratrol, which also acts as a as a, a to improve inflammation in the gut. So what we did in the studies then developed a specifically new one, which is now called Phytov, and we compared that against placebo. So everyone in the study either had Phytov or placebo, and that's been published separately to the probiotic data, um, and we feel it's very important to give those things with a probiotic. So as I said, everyone had a probiotic and they were randomized to have that supplement on top. And we were very pleased to see a further, very significant difference between the people who'd had the placebo and had the Phyto-V. So it is true that those polyphenol-rich foods or phytochemical-rich foods enhance the already good effect of a probiotic. So taking them in combination according to our trial, makes good sense. Okay, that one for long COVID is the one that is now marketed as Phyto-V. The probiotics is your gut plus. They've called your gut plus and the the, the phytochemical rich supplement, which was because you can't combine these into one pill, by the way, it's physically not possible. The pill would be the size of a you know, an elephant pill or something. So they have to be taken separately. Um, And also there's, you need to keep the probiotics, um, you know, contained in one year. Um, So they've they've called it, the manufacturer have called it Phyto-V, named after the study, and they've named the the probiotic Yorgut Plus. And you take them at the same time? It makes sense too, because there's a prebiotic element to the... um, the Phyto-V. And it's um, just for our listeners once a day in the morning, is it that best? Morning with your breakfast and lunchtime, I would say that is the best because it's sort of, 
you don't usually in British diet you don't usually start the day with those sort of foods. So you're you're getting them into the bloodstream and calming the gut. And what's the reason to have it twice a day? So we looked at the data from previous studies and looked at the amount of foods would seem to have an effect on their own. We've always thought that combining them, so getting combining foods which have different uh, profiles of polyphenols. So for example, taking ginger and turmeric, and uh, you're actually taking the same polyphenols. But if you're taking chamomile and mixing that with pomegranate and mixing it with citrus bioflavonols, the profile of, uh, of phytochemicals is different. So you're having a broad spectrum of different polyphenols. And we think that works much better than taking one specific, say, phytochemical and taking high doses of that. So for that, you need to sort of take a higher quantity and therefore you it's best to split it and also of course you know when you're splitting it you're getting um, you're getting it throughout the day you're not just having one hit in the morning it's interesting just to, to talk to someone in the research field who's take, actually got a product to market in really relatively short time um yeah i mean that you know the companies aren't um they're quite sensible. They're not going to dish out £60,000 to pay for a study if they, they've also not at the same time preparing themselves. You know, not all the studies we've done have, have, have been positive. So, you know, it's a gamble for them. Um, but uh, it, it was pretty obvious when you looked at the background data that these things were going to work. Um, but <laughs> they don't know that for sure. Uh, so it was a gamble for them. But what is quite interesting is speaking to someone who has that uh, who comes at it from both angles, because we speak to scientists who don't see any patients and we speak to doctors who don't do the science behind it. So speaking to someone who has the combination of the patient-facing role and the scientific sort of research background and then drug development too. I mean, this is... You're, the, you're the whole package. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> But uh, I've just found it is a very good way of getting funding, and and you know at the end of the day, it is a, it is a responsibility of ethics. Actually, when you when you go to the ethics committee, they say, look, if you have developed something, you need to make sure the information gets out to the public. That's part of the ethics uh, agreement. So, someone like yourself, who's allowing me to speak on your podcast, is actually part of the ethics approval. So, when I then go to my next study and I say. Uh, which which is going through the vaccine study is is hopefully just about to be confirmed. Um, we can say, well, look, this is what we did last time. You know, we 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 put it out. We were on podcasts. We publish it, and they they look at you a little bit more favorably that you're not just working on your own in a in a closet and just not telling the world what you've done. Yeah, hmm. yeah, brilliant. But it's very interesting. I mean, looking at you, I can't see you look fit. Um, you know, you, you, you look healthy to me. I know. Well, this makes me feel like a bit of a fraud. Uh, and, and other people have said the same thing. It's when people say, oh, but you look really well. And I actually saw friends the other day and they said, you look amazing. Yeah, that's because I've lost 12 kilos because I haven't been able to eat. So people's sort of view of what's healthy. and The, the classic uh, picture we're all shown of people who have long COVID or severe COVID symptoms, and there is a correlation, is, you know, older, overweight history of indigestion and other problems. But you clearly don't come into that category. Yeah, neither of us, neither of us. I mean, we potentially have comorbidities, but we don't don't either of us have any of those things. And in the study, 
you know, we saw a lot of people like yourself who, you know, hadn't, you, you couldn't, I mean, obviously on the ward, we were seeing a lot more people who were very unhealthy from the start. But in the study, people like yourself who were motivated to found us out and came into the study were actually previously quite fit and they were in this horrible state. And I, I think what we learned is, and other people are saying the same thing, actually, if you read the data from around the world, um, it's, you've got to get in early when you have the covid so the problem is if there was an issue with gut health or you were just unlucky right when you had severe covid at the beginning once you've set up that initial chronic inflammation and your body starts attacking your own organs such as the brain the lining of the brain the joints the the you know the gut the damage is sort of done um so you can do everything to mitigate and improve your well-being but once that damage is already done that's when you get this horrible me type picture so my advice to anyone if they get covid is get in there as early as possible because once that damage is done once you've got what you've got it's going to take many months to years to to get over but you're not saying that it's like this forever well we don't think so necessarily it is reversible potentially even though it's i think so but don't ingrained. Don't forget what what we also saw in the study with people who were going in and out of COVID. You know, they were they were clear. Then suddenly the, the symptoms were coming back that they never were quite clearing the virus. And that's why we think the Phyto-V will help because they, they've got antiviral properties as well as anti-inflammatory properties. So, yeah, something like that might well be uh, the answer. Um but, you know, it, it's it's tricky. I mean, I don't want to disillusion you, but the, I suspect there will be a handful of people which will never recover. You know, I'm, I'm, I, it's, I don't want to be depressing. But, you know, for example, we know that type 1 diabetes is probably linked to, to poor gut health because the, you get this leaky gut inflammation. Your body recognizes these toxins as foreign. They hit them, but they, they're very similar to the normal pancreas. And you hit the pancreas at the same time and Bob's your uncle, you've got type 1 diabetes, which is permanent. So there could well be some people who, are, who have permanent long-term side effects from, from this. I hope you're not in that I'm not, group. I'm not, I'm not one of them. <laughs> uh, and I, but my, my gut feeling is it will improve. You know, your body's quite good. But once you start We're going to go with your gut feeling. You seem to know quite a lot about the gut. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. The problem is, like you said with Omicron, is that everybody got reinfected or all of us got infected for the first time. But as COVID becomes more transmissible and reinfection is now proven to be, I mean, I've known, I know, I know dozens of people personally who've had COVID twice in the last month. So this kind of this constant reinfection is also just it's absolutely reinflaming the body. Yeah. Absolutely. So every time that we get COVID, because we've had it for the second time at roughly the same time, all our long COVID symptoms went crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and, and you know, the same applies if you then get flu or a cold or you yeah. know, any other virus. We always yeah. talk about that. Like yeah. we get the long COVID symptoms from any virus that our body is trying to fight. Yeah, because we have kids and they're bringing home all these everyday viruses, flu viruses, and we're just constantly struggling, struggling to get better. And then, you know, we get hit by another virus and then we then have to try and get over that. There's a lot more work we need to do on long. Don't forget, we didn't even know this disease existed a year ago. Uh, Well, we very much appreciate the amount of work you've done so far. Well, this is quite, you know, this is quite easy nutritional. I think in the long term, we're going to have to start looking at really deep into 
you know, immune therapies or proper medical interventions, which I think in a small group like yourself might well need. But we just need more time. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a very unusual virus in the sense that the degree of long-term toxicity after the virus seems to be a lot higher with COVID than, than ordinary flu. Since we've done this interview, I've gone and bought the uh, Your Gut Plus mm-hmm. um, tablets, and I've been taking them for a, for a few days now. And what it hasn't done, as I alluded to in the interview... It's caused you problems. It's caused me to have too much gas. Okay. And so that's a good thing. So let's see. That sounds positive. The more people we speak to, I think we can't underestimate the power of the microbiome. When he explained how basically... If we've got sort of this toxicity in our body, it's potent- and, and we've got a dodgy gut, it's potentially leaking out this toxicity from our gut into the into the body and, and, and both ways. Yeah, my biggest kind of overall looking at it as a big picture is that we have some kind of ongoing inflammation in our body and everything that we can reduce, in any place that we can reduce it, we should try and reduce it. Yeah, and any way that we can. Join us next week as we hear others' experiences of long COVID. Share your stories and questions at tlcsessions.net. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram for the latest updates. And if you found this interesting, please do subscribe.